Welcome to Lose Yourself with Dr. Mike Cunningham, Bible teacher in Vineyard, Utah. When we lose ourselves in worldly distractions, we lose our value, our purpose, and our passion in exchange for temporal experiences. But Jesus says that whoever would lose their life for His sake will find it. Let's learn what it means to lose yourself with Dr. Mike. Welcome to Lose Yourself. I'm Dr. Mike Cunningham, and I'm so glad you could join me today. Well, today marks the end of our series in Jonah. This has been a four-week adventure to start off the new year, to get our hearts right, and to get us focused on God's Word. We began this journey looking at God's sovereignty, looking at the way that He is in control and He guides our lives and our hearts. And through this experience, we saw Jonah, his reaction to what God asked him to do, his rebellion, his prayer in the fish, uh, where his heart turned, uh, his reluctant obedience to the people of Nineveh, his very brief but effective sermon, and the repentance of an entire nation. Not because of Jonah's ability or even his attitude, but because of God's mission, his mercy, and his sovereignty as he worked within this Old Testament context to make himself known and to continue the process of restoring his creation. God's character shines through this book because it's about his character and not Jonah's. As I read Jonah, unfortunately, sometimes I'm reminded of my own character, my own pride, my own unrepentant, disobedient heart at times can get the best of me. And when we see the entitlement and when we see the rebellion of Jonah, it's easy to pass judgment. But this is not a book designed for us to read and feel better about ourselves. This is a book that we read and identify with his character and learn from him, keep our eyes on God, and move forward in our life and in his mission. So in review of where we've been the last few weeks, Jonah is a literal account not a parable, not an allegory. I know that a lot of people use interpretive methods to draw their own meanings from the text of Jonah. But from my point of view, this is a literal account that was corroborated by Old and New Testament references. And you can go back to the first week to listen to some of that if you missed it. Uh, We looked at God's character. He moves forward despite our unworthiness. That the character of God can always be counted on And it's not about us, folks. It's about him, which also speaks to God's sovereignty that overcomes adversity and can always be counted on. Even when things look hopeless and even when we think that we have made mistakes that are beyond repair, God's sovereignty can be trusted and he can not only raise us up out of our own issues, he can also help us be part of his plan and his purposes that transcends all barriers and issues. Part of God's character and his sovereignty is his mercy. Grace is unmerited favor. And even here in the Old Testament, uh, we see God give his unmerited favor to the Ninevites, but also to Jonah, his very reluctant servant. Part of God's mercy is his mission, or the Missio Dei, where he is restoring his creation, even here in the Old Testament. And we get to see God move and do mighty and powerful things, foreshadowing future events as well. So today we come to the conclusion of Jonah, chapter 4. We've seen amazing miracles. We have seen amazing revival. 
So in chapter four, let's see how this book ends. Think about it. Here's the setup. We have seen a call, a refusal, an escape. We've seen Jonah held accountable and a miracle with a fish and surviving the fish even then is a miracle in itself. Speaking of miracles, then he goes to Nineveh, preaches a short sermon, sees amazing revival, and God sparing the lives of thousands of people. So with that as a backdrop, how is this book going to end? Let's see. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. That's verse one. And part of me thinks, am I reading that right? Why is that the reaction to the amazing events of the first three chapters? Let's continue. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, the one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head, rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry without the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord God said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? That's kind of an abrupt ending to this book. Tim Keller calls Jonah the prodigal prophet. He looks like the younger brother when he runs away, but then when he returns, his attitude is like that of the older brother. He is more worthy of the father's favor than others. And we see that attitude front and center in chapter four. After witnessing miracle after miracle, he's furious with God for sparing the Ninevites. On the one hand, it's not necessarily Jonah's faith that is a problem. It's his heart because he knows God will spare them. And that's why he ran away to Tarshish in the first place. Again, so on the one hand, I can appreciate and admire his faith and his belief in God, in the justice of God, the mercy of God, the fairness of God, which led to his abandoning post and, and running away because he had so much faith that God is who he says he is that he did not want that to come to fruition. Friend, have you ever felt that way? Where you literally said, God, I know you're a good God and you will forgive this person and you will restore this person and you will redeem this person and I am not okay with that. 
We are all stuck in our humanity too. We have our own sins that we struggle with. And amid all of those issues, we have to let God be God and be his instruments. The book of Jonah is convicting to me in that respect, that it calls out my entitlement and it calls out my desire to be held in high regard and be part of the story when the story really belongs to God and I get the privilege of taking part in it. So today, friend, maybe there's someone out there who you're thinking, I can't forgive them. And more importantly, I don't want God to forgive them. Just remember though, friend, we are all sinful and have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all equally in need of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And if we are willing, we can share that grace with others, point them in a new direction, and watch God transform their lives. My prayer today is we won't be like Jonah and we'll be willing instruments in God's plan to restore creation and bring people to him. In conclusion, Jonah's journey parallels any believer who is reluctant to step out of their place of favor and share the same grace with others. This book offers an amazing aspect of grace and rich theology from the Old Testament. And that's why this book is read every year during Yom Kippur, which is the Jewish Day of Atonement. Early believers and Jews mostly drew from this text without the benefit of gospel application. Even without that perspective, the book of Jonah offers a deeper look at God's grace and sovereignty. It also provides a person that allows the reader to discover their prejudices and limitations through his journey. Jonathan Kaplan said, Jonah's moral self serves as a rhetorical tool for shaping the perception of the book's readers. The book of Jonah calls people to repentance because they struggle with the same pride and sin he exhibited in this account. The prophetic underpinnings, however, allude to the coming Savior in Christ. Taken on his merit in theology, the book of Jonah has much to offer. God's sovereignty, his atonement, the need for man's obedience and repentance, and God's mercy offer a rich palette for communicators to share with congregations. Even without its prophetic influence, Jonah works as a standalone lesson that draws people's hearts to God, testifies of his mercy and grace, and encourages fidelity and obedience to the one true God. These underlying themes, however, make the prophetic elements of the book even more powerful when seen within the context of the entire biblical canon. Jesus alluding to Jonah's story gives credibility to the Old Testament account and Christ's final atonement for all humanity that echoes this book's themes. The connection between the Old Testament and New Testament accounts continues the narrative of God's redeeming of his creation. Jonah offers readers examples of human pride and unfaithfulness, godly examples of mercy and sovereignty, and a message that foreshadows the hope that can only come from the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, I feel like Luke chapter 10 offers a great counterpoint to the book of Jonah. It begins with the sending out of the 72, where the iconic verses said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And we are, indeed, those harvesters. We are those workers. And if we have the heart of Jonah, we will never have an opportunity to do that. And it starts as close as your friends, your neighbors. In chapter 10, following the sending out of the 72, you see 
Jesus's iconic parable of the Good Samaritan. This parable is brought about when asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the beautiful parable of a Samaritan who was looked down upon by society, being the one to render aid to a complete stranger. And Christ saying, go and do likewise. Do we have the heart of Jonah or the good Samaritan? Do we follow our own interests or do we yield to Christ? Jonah gives us the occasion to look at ourselves, our motivations, and our opportunities to see how we can live for Christ in our context. Friend, as I compare these two, I want to make sure that I challenge you to lead more towards the New Testament rendering instead of Jonah. I've known too many Jonas in my life. It leads to bitterness. It leads to arrogance. It leads to emptiness. God has so much in store for you if you'll just follow him instead of your own desires. God has a mission and a purpose and a plan for each of us. And I don't want you to miss it the way that Jonah did. When I look at the brothers in the prodigal son, each of them represents a lack of intimacy with their father. One who squanders his inheritance and seeks a life for himself only to be humbled and humiliated. The tragedy of the older brother is he loses intimacy with his father because of his feelings of entitlement and pride. Do not let selfishness and pride keep you out of God's mission and most importantly, out of his fellowship and communion. It can change your life. Friend, I hope that this book of Jonah has been a blessing to you. I hope it gets the year started off right. And I hope it challenges all of us to share the grace of Christ with others and rest in God's mercy. We'll see you next time on Lose Yourself. This has been Lose Yourself. Lose Yourself is a teaching ministry of Bible teacher, Dr. Mike Cunningham. For more information about Mike and his ministry, check out his blog at loseyourself.life. Until next time, make it your ambition to lose yourself to Christ. Lose Yourself is a production of Key Radio.